Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The person who can change your life is you, but you need to know how. Listen to my show, the Del Wamsley Radio Show, where the hype ends and the help begins. Right here on KCAA, now broadcasting on 1050 AM, 102.3 FM, and 106.5 FM. The stations that leave no listener behind. KCAA Loma Linda. Listen on 1050 AM, 102.3 FM, and 106.5 FM. The Mortgage Voice is Jeff Barton, your mortgage advocate here on KCAA. Jeff informs you of the ever-changing mortgage industry. Mortgage loans can be confusing and overwhelming, but Jeff and his guests will help you understand the difference in various loans and help you own or keep your home. Trust is the major issue here, right? If someone doesn't trust you with their most intimate financial details and secrets, uh, it's going to be very hard for them to do a loan. Tune into The Mortgage Voice every Saturday afternoon at 3 and Sunday at noon here on KCAA. 1050 AM and 106.5 FM. KCAA. KCAA Radio now joins the Sunday morning worship services of the Pruitt Baptist Church in Van, Texas with Brother Mike Calhoun. What hope we hold this starlit night A king is born in Bethlehem. Our journey long, we seek the light that leads to the hallowed manger ground. What fear we felt in the silent age. Four hundred years can he be found. But broken by a baby's cry, rejoice in the hallowed manger ground. Emmanuel, Emmanuel, God incarnate, Amen. 
his name, Emmanuel. I want to invite you to turn with me, if you will, into your Bible, and I hope you have one with you, to Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19. I have had a good time uh, getting this, this uh, sermon organized enough for me uh, to speak it. Now, God's the one who gives it. God's going to be the one that delivers it, and, and I pray that, that you allow him, open up your heart and allow him to, uh, to deliver that. So I'm going to be in Luke chapter 19. On day 6 of creation, God looked at everything that he had done. And it says it was very good. God was pleased. It was very good. At some point, after the seventh day, Lucifer made a bid for the highest position in the order of heaven and earth. Sometime after the, the seventh day, God rested. I'm sure Lucifer didn't try to, 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 to make his attempt at that point when God's resting. He may have, but we know that up until day six, everything was good. Day seven, God rested. Sometime after that, Lucifer made a bid for the top spot in the order. As a consequence for the attempted coup, Lucifer was expelled from heaven and thrown to earth. Although his takeover bid failed, he was still determined to bring ruin to the creation work of Jesus. He shows up on the scene after hijacking a serpent. Present in the garden was a created being that was made just a little lower than the angels. It was obvious that this being was created in, in, in the image of God, so Lucifer must have felt a bitterness toward this this man being able to see Jesus in him. If only he could turn this man into a rebel like himself. If, if only he could destroy what Jesus had already, gotten, uh, had already gotten going. We know if you read in the first chapter of John and the first chapter of Colossians, we understand that Jesus Christ is the one who did the creating. We didn't know him as Jesus Christ then. All we knew at that point was that he was the second part of the Godhead, the Trinity, uh, the Son, God the Son. And so Satan wanting to destroy this. Satan's looking for a way. God has given one command to the man. Satan thought, I'm going to attack there. One thing. We know the story. Man rebelled against God, and man was lost. And man has been lost over about the last 7,000 years. The perfect relationship between God and man was ruined, and Lucifer was well on his way to an all-out war with God. It is an all-out war that still, to this day, continues. But the story doesn't end there. Max Licato says, as the echo of the crunching of the fruit was still sounding in the garden, Jesus was leaving for Calvary. It's an all-out war. And in the fullness of time, Jesus was born a man. And not only a man, but a man on a mission. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Our scripture comes from Luke 19. I would like to ask you to stand in honor of the reading of God's word. <clears throat> if I forget to have you seated, please feel free to do so whenever I get through. Reading, not preaching. Luke 19, chapter 1. He entered Jericho and was passing through, and there was a man called by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. Zacchaeus was trying to see who Jesus was and was unable because of the crowd, for he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree in order to see him, for he was about to pass through that way. 
When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for today I must stay at your house. And he hurried and came down and received him gladly. And when they saw it, they all began to grumble, saying, He has gone to be a, the guest of a man who is a sinner. Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of all my possessions I will give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will give back four times as much. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he, too, is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Father Jesus, we give you the next few minutes. And Father, we invite you here by the power, Lord, of your Holy Spirit. We pray that you join us. Lord, that you do the teaching, that you do the application to our lives. And Father, we pray most of all that this morning that your son Jesus, Jesus is lifted up and glorified. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I told you a few minutes ago that I've had a lot of fun organizing this or, or trying, trying to, to, to trying to see what it is that the Lord was wanting me to talk about. And maybe it happened with you while I was reading the scripture, but did that little song come back to your mind about Zacchaeus? Was a wee little man and a wee little man. I had, I, it's been interesting. And uh, so that song, that song just kept coming through, kept, kept, kept playing through my mind, and I, and I even start singing it by myself because I can't sing. Um, and I, and I'd sing, "We little man and we little man will see." And uh, just, you know, that song covers this whole passage of scripture. It covers it. Um, it, it, it just kind of in in. Uh, you know, you know, in, in events, in order of events. But that song, and this is what I found. I was a good kid. I went to church here. My, my dad and my mom would bring me to church, and I would sit in Sunday school. Uh, I'm going to date myself a little bit. We had this thing called flannel board. I, I saw some of you smile. I know what that is. And most of you had gray hair. All right. Zacchaeus was a little dude, and, and uh, so we sat there. And so I, really, whenever I got out of Sunday school, and I went home, all I knew about Zacchaeus was that he was a wee little man, and, and I didn't know what that had to do uh, with me. I didn't know what that had to do uh, with anything, really. Uh, but I, I do remember the story. Zacchaeus was found in the city of Jericho, and Jesus entered this. Jesus entered Jericho. Jesus was on the other side of the Jordan. He was going through Jericho on his way to... Uh, to, to raise Lazarus from the dead. Lazarus has died. And his family is kind of upset. Jesus waited back. You, you guys know the story. And so he's on his way that way to Bethel. And he, he's on his way that way, and he, he enters Jericho. Jericho, if you remember, was a city we first hear about, we first hear about it in Genesis 13. Apparently, Jericho is the oldest city known. And the word Jericho means moon, which has a lot to do with, with uh, ancient religions, has a lot to do with the religion now that's growing. Um, they, they say faster than Christianity. Uh, it's Islam, and, um, and, and it's still prevalent. However, Jericho was a city we first hear about in Genesis, but we also know about, and it gained its fame to the students of the Bible, to us, those who read the Bible, in the, in the conquest. Jericho was the city that they had to march around one time a day for seven days. You guys remember that? And then on the seventh day, they marched around seven times. They hollered, and the walls fell down. I like that story. I mean, I understood that whenever I was in Sunday school. Uh, that was a pretty cool thing. They, they scream, and, and God just crumbles the walls. It, it says it fell, the wall fell flat before each man, and each man was able to run into the city. And God did an amazing thing. Um, so this is Jericho, and right after the, the Rah Rahab was uh, saved out of there uh, because she, she served the spies, and so Jericho uh, will become cursed after this, 
And the word of the Lord came through Joshua and said that the man who rebuilds Jericho will lay the foundations of his firstborn and hang the gates of his second. This is about 1,210 B.C. In the time of King Ahab, in about 870 B.C., a man by the name of Hael rebuilt Jericho. And he rebuilt Jericho, laid the foundations of his firstborn, and hung the gates for the life of his secondborn. So Hael lost Two, two of his sons building Jericho. So that's Jericho. That's what it was. Eight, seven, about 870 years later, Jesus enters into this city. There is a, an important fact about, about Jericho, and it kind of helps us understand about Zacchaeus. Jericho set uh, about six miles off of, of uh, the River Jordan. It was fed by a spring. A.S. Sultan was the name of the spring. 33,000 cubic foot of water a day would come out. It watered about 2,500 uh, square acres. And so this, this place, Jericho, uh, was, a, was a really neat place. Uh, not only was it located on a trade route, but it was, as far as weather was concerned, was almost perfect. 58 degrees during January, 88 degrees during August. So this, this city was a, was, a, was a city that was set on a major trade route, a lot of business going on, the weather was perfect, so I want you to understand, and I'm telling you all this so you will understand, this was a big city, and there was a lot of commerce going on. And Zacchaeus, it says, uh, and there was a man called by the name of Zacchaeus, he was a chief ch uh, tax collector, and he was rich. Why was he rich? I want That helps you understand that this city was a city that you could be rich in. Uh, at this time, when Jesus walked into Jericho, the Romans had already conquered Palestine, and they were underneath Roman rule. Uh, so the Romans, in order to keep the, the empire going, they had to have money, so they set up taxes. Roman citizens normally were tax collectors, but sometimes the natives of conquered land, they could be tax collectors. And it was a system where you could put in a bid to the government uh, for this job. And Zacchaeus had put in a bid for, for the job, and he received it. Uh, he won the bid. So, so he was a chief tax collector. What does chief tax collector mean? It means that he had other people working for him that they actually did the work. Tax collectors were not highly thought of. In a list in Matthew, they're included in with prostitutes. Uh, so that's, what, uh, that's, uh, that's how Jews thought about tax collectors. And, and, and uh, Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector. Um, and he was rich. How do they get rich? Well, if uh, Rome says that, hey, I need 10% of everybody's income, they would get 12 or 13% of everybody's income, send 10 to Rome, keep two or three for themselves. And so people hated them, hated them. And so Zacchaeus, and, and they, were, they were very rich. And if you can imagine in a, in a city like Jericho, there was a lot going on, and there was a lot of taxes that were collected, and there was a lot of money to be had in the collection of taxes, and Zacchaeus had it. But Zacchaeus' life was changed one day. He had heard about a man named Jesus. There is just something about that name. And Zacchaeus was, was trying to see him. Uh, in, in, in chapter 18, right before this story, Bartimaeus received his sight. Uh, and I'm sure that that news got around. Uh, even right before that, we had Jesus' encounter with a rich young ruler. It is very possible that uh, Zacchaeus knew this rich young ruler and may have even heard the story of that account. But anyway, Zacchaeus had heard about Jesus. He'd heard about him. And all he wanted to do was just see who he was. Have you guys ever been around a, a place where there was somebody famous that was going to be there and you kind of hoped that you could catch a glimpse just to kind of see what... Just, just to kind of see them, um, you know, who, who they are, uh, you know, and then whenever you see them, you're like, man, they kind of look normal, look human. Uh, and and this, was a, this was the same with, with Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus had heard a lot about Jesus, and he wanted to see him. So he was wanting to see who Jesus was and was unable because of the crowd. There was a lot of people there, for he was small in stature. He was a short guy. 
and the crowd being around, he couldn't get a good look at Jesus. So verse 4, so he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree. Now Zacchaeus is wanting to see Jesus really bad because I'm going to tell you, even in Jewish culture, if you weren't rich, it was undignified to run in public. It was undignified. You just didn't do it, and especially if you was a rich businessman. Uh, that was under, you did not do that. Zacchaeus, there's something going on in Zacchaeus, um, and he, he was wanting to see Jesus, so he runs. He ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree in order to see him, for he was about to pass that way. So J Jesus is looking at the crowd, looking at which direction they're going. He looks ahead of them, discovers, hey, if I go over here and get in this tree, he's going to come by here, and I'm going to be able to see him, and he does that. And I know that on Sunday mornings all over America, all over the world, in churches, there are people sitting in churches who want to maybe get a glimpse of this Jesus. So he runs ahead and he climbs up. And when Jesus come to the place, Jesus has already started doing a work that Zacchaeus is not aware of. And Jesus had a place and whenever he got to that place, he looked up. Do you think that Zacchaeus was the only man in a tree? Probably not. There was crowds all around him. A lot of people wanted to see him. And so did Zacchaeus. And whenever Jesus got to that spot, he looked up and called him by name. Now, I want you to put yourself in the position of Zacchaeus just for a minute. Be in a sycamore tree. It don't matter if you don't know what it looks like. It can be any kind of a tree. But you're in a tree and you're looking down into the face of God. What Jesus do you see? Do you see the Jesus that's the Son of God? Do you see the Jesus that's the Creator God? Do you see the Jesus of the Bible or do you see a Jesus that's okay with little sin? Just a little. Do you see a Jesus that's okay for you to have other gods in your life? As each, as each one of us look down into that face, we want that face to be the Son of God. The Son of God looks back at him, calls him by name, and says, Jesus, hurry and come down, for today I must stay at your house. Calls him by name. I'm sure that that surprised Zacchaeus. But I'm sure that that right there may have been the start of the change of Zacchaeus' life. Hurry and come down. Whenever Jesus calls us by name, we have a responsibility to move and to move immediately. I hear stories, and not only do I hear stories, I've lived that myself. I've heard the call of Jesus myself. In fact, I'll just tell you about myself. I knew as a junior in high school, what God wanted me to do. And I ran from him for 20 years. I thought I was having fun, but I wasn't. Running from God is not fun. It'll wear you out, and you can't ever get away from him. He's always there. Zacchaeus, hurry and come down. Not only do we have to move whenever we hear the call of God in our life, not only do we need to move now, but oftentimes us, especially as men, need to come down. Need to come down from where, Ron? Need to come down from that spot that God's been needing in our life for a long time. We have a tendency to kick God out of our life and to sit on his seat that rightfully belongs to him. We have this tendency to want to rule our life and control our life and leave God out of it. Whenever we meet Jesus, we need to get out of that. We need to come down from our pride. We need to come down from our idol worship, whatever that idol might be, whether money, houses, cars, education, fame, popularity, whatever your God is. Need to get that out of the way. Come down from the place that right, rightfully belongs to God. And Jesus told him, so I must come to your house today. God wasn't interested. Jesus wasn't interested in Zacchaeus alone. Zacchaeus, come down. I'm going to your house. Whenever we come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, it's not just for us. 
It's for our family. It's for our friends. It's for our workplace. It's not to be kept secret. Jesus told Zacchaeus, I am not, come on, come with me. I'm going to your house. Zacchaeus was uh, obedient. It says in in, uh, verse 6, And he hurried and came down and received him gladly. Zacchaeus didn't wait. Whenever he heard, whenever he heard uh, uh, Jesus call his name, he was very quick to respond. And here in a few minutes, we're going to be having a time of invitation. And Jesus may be working in your life. He may have started this morning or he may have started a long time ago. Don't wait. Whenever you get the opportunity, respond. There's a funny story. Uh, Ergen Kainer. Ergen Kainer was saved in a small church in Tennessee. And the Spirit of God got a hold of his life. His dad was come to this country to build mosques. His dad was Muslim. Ergen was Muslim. And this little Christian friend of his kept inviting him to vacation Bible school and uh, would invite him to come to church and all this other stuff. Make a long story short, there was one Sunday whenever he came to church because he couldn't stand this little Christian boy bugging him and he's sitting in church. God got, got a hold of his life and the preacher's up here preaching and he looks down here and he sees arguing and he's like, just standing there. He says, son, can I help you? He said, yeah, I need to see Jesus. I, I, need, I need to meet you. I need Jesus. And that preacher said, well, can't it, can it wait till after? No, he needed him now. And I tell you that if the Spirit of God is dealing with you and you need to come now, we have somebody that can deal with that. If not, I want to encourage you, whenever the invitation is given in a few minutes and, you, and Jesus is dealing in your heart right now, I want to, I want to tell you, don't, don't wait. Hurry and come down and receive him gladly. Verse 7, when they saw it, they all began to grumble, saying, he has gone to be the guest of a man who was a sinner. My, 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 what kind of judgment we give. This group of people had not only judged Zacchaeus, of course they had, they hated him, but they judged Jesus. He's going to be the house of the sinner. You know what? The truth is, it didn't matter what house he went into in Jericho, he was going to go to the house of the sinner. They were all sinners. Pointing a finger. It's not our place. That's not our place. But these people right here began to grumble. Began to grumble. He has gone to be a guest of a sinner. And you know what? I don't know. It seems like the more I've read this and the more I studied this, it seemed like Zacchaeus may have heard this. Because it said in verse 8, Zacchaeus stopped. You imagine this. He's met Jesus. His life is changing. He doesn't know it. His life is changing. And and he hears these people grumble and he stops. And he addresses Jesus. And he said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, something's going on in his heart. He's moved from a place to wanting to see Jesus to knowing who he is. And he knows that he's the Lord. Lord, half of my possessions I will give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will give back four times as much. Zacchaeus knew the Jewish law, for that was the law. It said that if you stole anything from anybody and you were brought to to justice on that, that's what you did. You restored that plus four times as much. And so Zacchaeus is telling him, Lord, if I've defrauded anybody of anything, I'm going to give back four times as much. I want you to realize right here that Zacchaeus is being saved, and he's being saved totally because he come down to meet Jesus. He's totally being saved. You know what? Jesus is affecting his finances. How many of us sitting here this morning need Jesus to affect our finances? Not because we need more of them, but because we rely on them too much. 
Lord, if I've defrauded anyone, anything, I will give back four times as much. And Jesus said to him, I want you to notice this. As they were grumbling, somebody was being saved. As they were grumbling, somebody was being saved. Verse 7, they grumbled. Verse 9, Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to your house. Woo. Not only Zacchaeus, but everyone in his home was saved. How many of us sitting here this morning have somebody at home that needs to know Jesus Christ? You don't know, raise your hand. I did, that's, a, that's a rhetorical question. But how many? Maybe a child. Maybe a brother. Maybe a sister. Maybe a husband or a wife. Maybe a mom or dad, grandpa, grandpa, maybe somebody you know in your family that needs to know about Jesus. Zacchaeus gave it up, and his house was saved. If you respond to Jesus, it's going to affect a lot more than you. And it should. All throughout Scripture, anybody that come to know Jesus, it affected everybody around them. You know, one thing that I notice in Scripture that I don't notice about modern Christianity is that there was no mediocre Christianity in the Bible. There was no such thing as nominal Christianity. Our world, our country, our country is pervaded with it. And I just want to tell you something that you already know. You already know this. Nominal Christianity is powerless. It's powerless. All it is is a habit. Not for Zacchaeus. Today, salvation has come to this house because he, too, is a son of Abraham. He become a son of Abraham not because he was a Jew. He become a son of Abraham because of his faith. Now, he was, by flesh and blood, what they referred to, the Jews referred to as a son of Abraham. But Jesus is not referring to that. Jesus is referring to his faith. Verse 10, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Jesus is on a mission. Jesus' mission includes all of those people who are offensive to us. Jesus, lost people will not act like saved people. They just won't. He's come to see. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family cannolis and spins mean everything now you want to get mixed up in the family business introducing the godfather at chumpacasino.com test your luck in the shadowy world of the godfather slot someday i will call upon you to do a service for me play the godfather now at chumpacasino.com welcome to the family vgw group no purchase necessary void where prohibited by law see terms and conditions 18 plus and to save that which was lost even a chief tax collector, even a prostitute, it doesn't matter. There is no one that is outside of the reach, the will, and the love of God. No one. Jesus has come to seek and to save that which was lost. So, what's the deal? Those of us who profess Jesus, those of us who profess the name of Jesus, let us depart from iniquity. Well, what is that? Anything that's against God, anything that's against Jesus Christ, uh, his will for our life, let us do that. Those of us who name the name of Jesus, let us depart from iniquity. Number two, if Jesus come to seek and to save the lost, 
what are we busy doing? Seek and save the lost. Once we have been found, we become part of the mission. It's not about our comfort. It's not about our happiness. It's not about us being catered to. It's not us about us being served at church. It's about us coming here to serve. Every one of us has come here to serve. That, that's, that's what people, followers of Jesus, do. They come to serve. They realize what Jesus Christ has done in their heart, and they have this desire for Jesus to do it in the hearts of others. Whenever you come to be saved, you guys have heard, this, have heard me say this time and time again. Whenever you were saved, the Holy Spirit blessed you with a gift that wasn't for your benefit, but was for the benefit of the church. You have it. If you are a true believer in Jesus Christ, you have a gift that this body needs, and it, we need it badly. Why? To seek and to save that which was lost. Church, this place that we come to, comes here. we come here to be trained, to, to be edified, to be lifted up, to be taught how that we too can go out into the world and to seek and to save that which was lost. That's what church is. That's what church is. Salvation. Jesus. There's no other name like it. There's power. I want to tell you, if Zacchaeus was someone that Jesus Christ was very much interested in, you are very much, somebody, you are very much someone that Jesus is interested in. We're going to come to our time of invitation now. Brother Terry's going to come and sing a hymn of invitation. But here's the invitation. If you have been feeling like Jesus has been talking to you, been calling you, have been working in your heart for some time, make haste and come down. Don't, don't wait. Don't tarry. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ and you have at one time or another felt the call of God on your life, make haste come down I ran from 20 I ran from God for 20 years don't run quit running and I want to add this too it doesn't matter how old you are if you're still drawing a breath you're still useful God wants you if you're here and you're 75 years old and you've been running from God for 30 years today's the day to quit running come if Jesus is dealing in your heart you know for maybe maybe you realize this morning for the first time that Man, you've been playing this Jesus game and you really haven't felt the power of Christ in your life. Come, make haste, come down. Make today the day that you meet Jesus. Let today be the day that not only you, but, the, 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 but salvation comes to, to your house. Don't tarry any longer. Father Jesus, thank you, God, for this story about a man that most of us would consider below us. But Father, when we look into the perfect law of liberty, when we look into your word, we realize, God, that we're all right there in the same spot. Jesus, there are hearts here this morning that, that really, really need you. And the beautiful thing about that is, is that they already know that. Father, some of them have been fighting you for a long time not wanting to give it up. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that this morning, I pray that they saw a Jesus that was worthy of giving it up to. And Father, I'm almost sure that there's someone here that's a believer that's been running from you because either they felt unworthy for some other reason, that they didn't feel good enough. I pray, God, that today is the day that they make haste and that they come down. Father, we thank you for your magnificent love and your mercy. And pray, God, that you were lifted and that you were glorified. And it's in the name of Christ that we pray. Amen. You are listening to the Sunday morning worship services of the Pruitt Baptist Church in Van, Texas, with Pastor David McNary. If you have a Bible with you today, let me go ahead and invite you to turn in your Bible to the fourth chapter of the book of Acts. The fourth chapter of the book of Acts. Our question this morning is this. What makes a dynamic church? What makes a dynamic church? Is it location, location, location? Is it a great preacher? Is it a traditional 
music program or a contemporary music program or a blended music program? Is it great Sunday school, great Sunday school leaders and teachers and programs? Is it generous stewardship? What makes a dynamic church? Is it beautiful modern facilities? Or is it just sweet fellowship among the people? What really makes a dynamic church? Well, let me just say that a great location can help, but it's not necessary. The preacher's fame or education is not the answer. I can tell you that for sure. The music program of the churches are as varied as the names and places. I always find it interesting observing the names of different churches. I still love the little church out by Canton, Little Hope Baptist Church. And there are as many new beginning Baptist churches in the world as there are first Baptist churches, I think. Starting over, in other words, a new beginning. Is it the music program? Is that what really does it? Think about it. Some churches have a pipe organs and we get to go every once in a while over to Green Acres for their 4th of July presentation. They'll have a 100 voice choir or 100 plus voice choir over there. And it's, and it's gorgeous and it's wonderful. But what about it? Is, it? is that what's required? What about the little church out in the country that has an upright piano and a volunteer song leader? What about the bluegrass gospel music? I, I love it. I, I love bluegrass gospel, but that doesn't mean that I don't love all the other music too. I love the old hymns because the old hymns are important to us. They teach us about the Word of God. They teach us about doctrine. It might be a church with a four-piece string band. I've attended some of those. Or maybe a 40-piece orchestra, and I've been to some of those. Or there could be a hundred other variations as far as music is concerned. And listen, is that what makes a dynamic church? I'm going to say no, it's not. Great Sunday school, generous stewardship, great facilities, all of those things can help. They can assist. Sweet fellowship, of course, is important. It's valuable. But that's not what makes a dynamic church. In fact, this church, I'm going to give you a history lesson. This church was organized under a tree in 1896. Under a tree, okay? Later, there was a brush arbor and an outhouse. Amen to the outhouse. The only instruments were the guitar or fiddle that were brought from home once in a while. They only had a halftime preacher. That meant he was here every other Sunday. But the Methodist church had a preacher on the opposite Sunday, so everybody went to church together. You either at the Baptist church or at the Methodist church, Sunday after Sunday. And that preacher was paid in homegrown vegetables and an occasional chicken. I hope we don't go back to that because not many of you have chickens or homegrown vegetables, right? The congregation stood or sat on hard homemade benches or maybe a stump or maybe a blanket that you brought from home. Unlike it is here, it was hot in summer and cold in the winter. Some of y'all complain about it being cold in the summer here. They were baptized in the pond right across the road most of the time. But it was, folks, and remains a dynamic church. Now, I know that there's maybe not a lot of people that stop to think about Pruitt Baptist Church being a dynamic church, but I want you to know it's a dynamic church. This is a dynamic church that you are a part of. And we're going to talk about what characterizes a dynamic church. And in doing so, we need to also realize that we need to protect and guard those characteristics. We need to do all, do all that we can to be sure that it continues on. I know that there's a lot of people think that uh, the only dynamic churches are the mega churches, the, the Preston World, Prestonwood Church, either way, or the Green Acres Baptist Church, or some of the other big churches, they're not the only dynamic churches. Listen, like I said, it can be a little bitty church out in the country and be a dynamic church. I want us to look at this passage of Scripture found in Acts chapter 4 and just a couple of verses, beginning in verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and they spake the Word of God with boldness. 
And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul. Neither said any of them that aught of the things which he possessed was his own, but, uh, but they had all things common. And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Now I want you to notice some things about this church. This was the first church of Jerusalem. On the day it was organized, notice what happened. That's found over in chapter 2, over in chapter 2 and verse 41. Then they that gladly received His word were baptized in the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. Now listen, that's the day it was organized. I want to tell you the first church in Jerusalem, first church of the Lord Jesus in Jerusalem was a dynamic church on the day it was organized. In verse 47 it says, And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. You see, it was a dynamic church. And then Acts chapter 4 and verse 4, many of them which heard the word believed and the number of the men was about 5,000. There were like 15,000 who were saved and baptized in the initial days of this dynamic church, the first church, first Christian church of the city of Jerusalem. I believe all would agree that it was a dynamic church. But I want you to notice what we're going to discover makes for that church to be the way it is to be a dynamic church. It's there in those verses that we read earlier. The first thing, the first characteristic of a dynamic church is unity. It's unity. We read it in verse 32, the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul. Folks, the value of unity in the body of Christ can never be overstressed. How important it is for us to be unified. We need to be of one heart. We need to be of one soul. We need to be of one mind. We need to have the same goals in mind for all of the people of the church. This church was born in unity. They all continued with one accord. Acts chapter 1 and verse 14. Acts 2 1 says they were all with one accord in one place. In Acts 4.32, as we read, the multitude were of one heart and of one soul. The Apostle Paul writes in Romans 12.5, We being many are one body in Christ and every one members of one another. Listen, folks, I want you to know we're together in this. If you're not together with us, then let's talk to you about being saved so that we can be together in this. We're not to be out there destroying one another. We're to be out there helping one another. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10, Paul writes, Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all seek the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. He says we're to be together in this matter of serving the Lord. As the church of Jesus Christ, we are one body made up of many members. We are joined together for the purpose of fulfilling the Lord's great commission in our little corner of the world. God has given us an assignment. Our responsibility is to win every lost person to Jesus that lives around us. Not my words, the words of the Lord. I remember in some of the old-time movies a long time ago, it showed slaves shackled to the oars down in the hull of a ship. At the voice of the taskmaster, they would all pull. Or they'd beat the drum and they'd all pull together. Now listen, it was critical that they all pulled together. They had to work together to keep the ship on course. One person not doing his responsibility. I think it's always interesting whenever we have a group come in to sing, you know, and they always want you to clap. I think it's always kind of funny that sometimes, sometimes when I clap, it's in between the time when everybody else claps. You ever notice that? You have to pull together. Otherwise, you get off course. And if you get off course, then you arrive at the wrong destination. Now, there's a neat lesson to be learned there because God has a destination for us. And I want you to know that He tells us that He's not coming back until everybody's had an opportunity to be saved. And so if we're not busy 
trying to help people understand their need to trust Christ, then we're not fulfilling our responsibility. We're not pulling at the right time. We're slaves to Christ, the Bible says. Pulling together in unity at His command is our responsibility in order for us to reach the desired destination. The first thing I want you to notice about this dynamic church was they were unified. The second thing I want you to notice is that they were unselfish. And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul, neither said any of them that all of the things which he possessed was his own, but they had all things common. They were unselfish. Now, would you not agree with me that as human beings, we are naturally selfish and self-centered? And I know what some of you are saying, well, preacher, everybody else is, but I'm not. <laughs> right? I don't, don't. Yeah, y'all are, but I'm not. No one has to teach a child how to be possessive and selfish. It just comes naturally. One of the first words a child learns is the word mine. We've had the twins since Friday afternoon. It has been a joy, but just this morning I heard one of them say to the other, that's mine. In other words, get your hands off. Now, Kids are that way naturally, and I want to tell you something, we grow up with that. Sometimes adults are no different. After all, if you work hard on a project at work, you don't want anybody else getting credit for that, do you? I deserve the credit for that. And sometimes it doesn't really make a difference. It doesn't really matter just so long as the job gets done. If you've bought something and paid for it, you don't want to have to share it with somebody else, do you? I bought some fishing lures to take with me on my trip. I bought them to share. But I brought extra so that I can share, you see. If you have something planned and a friend needs your help, what do you do? Make an excuse, don't we? We sometimes make an excuse. Whenever I visit folks, you know, and I ask them and I invite them to come to church, and they inevitably they'll say, I'll try. Do you know what the words I'll try mean? I won't. I won't. I won't be there. It's, it's a word, it's a phrase of non-commitment. you know what? We are naturally selfish. But the child of God, whose heart is right with God, has the testimony of unselfishness. Unselfishness. You remember that famous verse in the third chapter of the book of John? Anybody remember that verse? For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Listen, the selfish thing for God to do was to save His own Son. And nobody would have blamed Him if He had done that. Nobody would have blamed Him. But that would have been the selfish thing. Rather, He looked at us unselfishly and because He loved us, He chose to allow His Son to go to the cross, knowing that that was the only way that any of us could ever have forgiveness for our sins and eternal life. God's unselfish character is revealed for us so that we might understand the principle of God's love. He showed us His love unselfishly. This church was a dynamic church because it was unified, because it was unselfish, and because it was unreserved. Unreserved. Verse 31 said, They spake the word of God with boldness. Verse 33 says, With great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Folks, here's the answer to our question. The question from the beginning a dynamic church is one that is made up of believers who are unreserved when it comes to sharing their faith in Christ. Listen, we have a dynamic church because we have people who are willing to share Jesus. Because we have people who are willing to demonstrate their faith in God by the way they live their lives. Folks, being unreserved means being unafraid. Why should we be afraid? And yet I know that sometimes it happens to us why should we be afraid to share the greatest news, the greatest thing that has ever happened in our lives, you know? I mean, if I'm walking down the street out here and I don't think it's yours and I find a $10 bill, I'm going to 
say hallelujah, I'm going to let everybody know that I found a $10 bill. You know that? Because I don't think it belongs to anybody close by, right? Why is it that we can stand up and shout and testify about our favorite football team, about our favorite quarterback? Why is it we don't have problem wearing our t-shirt that says Van Vandals on it, but we have a hard time telling people about our faith in Jesus Christ. Listen, everybody out there needs it, and we know they need it, so we've got to be willing to tell them we need a church that is unreserved. Our problem is that we don't like rejection. Well, preacher, what if I go to that person, they slam the door in my face? What if I Go to that person and they reject me. They get mad at me or they hurl some evil statement at me or they pick on me as a result of it. What if that happens? Well, there's a word in the Bible for you. Jesus said, these things I command you that you love one another. If the world hate you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love his own. But because ye are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. That's what Jesus said. Because of your faith, listen, you're not ever going to fit in. Verse 2, you're not supposed to fit in to the lifestyle of the world. You've been saved out of the world. Folks, we're not chosen to be loved by the world, but to love the world unreservedly and to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ without compromise. Somebody comes to you and asks you if you're a Christian, you're supposed to say, yes, and I'm proud that I am. Not because of anything I've done, but because of what Jesus has done for me. Listen, if you're acting strange to somebody, they're going to wonder what's wrong with you and maybe ask you. So act strange. Peter says we're a peculiar people. Peculiar. We're supposed to be different. Paul encourages us to be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. He says to put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Listen, we're to stand. We're to stand proudly, not arrogantly, but proudly, and we are to stand unreserved. The Bible tells us that when you're clothed in the armor of God and in and, and empowered by the Spirit of God, you can boldly stand against the enemy of God. But if you're wishy-washy, then the enemy might sometimes have his way with you. The great evangelist Charles G. Finney once said, since revival can never lay hold upon the world until it has first laid hold upon the church, the need is for the fountains of the sin to be broken up in the church. Backslidden Christians must be brought to repentance. They must have their faith renewed. Before the world can be moved, we must renew the image of Jesus Christ in ourselves because it is vain even to call the church to love others when the church has ceased to love Jesus Christ. So what makes a dynamic church? I said we're a dynamic church. And we are. And I believe that. Because we are unified and because we are unselfish and because we are, this is the hard one, because we are unreserved when it comes to the proclamation of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now just go be that. Just go be that. We need to commit ourselves to be committed to the task of proclaiming the good news that Jesus saves. Father, I thank You for this day. And I thank You, Father, that You have preserved for us this Word of the Lord. That, Father, we might read and understand what it means for us to be the kind of church that You want us to be. Dear Father, I pray that if there's, if there's a problem with unity within the church, that, God, You might reveal it to us as individuals and help us to make our commitments to You and make our commitments to one another that we'll be unified. And dear Father, I pray that You'll, that you'll speak to our hearts today and help us to remember that it's natural for us to be selfish 
but you want us to be unnatural. You want us to be a supernatural by being unselfish uh, because of the Spirit of God. And Father, I pray for courage. Dear Father, I pray that You'll help us to have the courage to take our stand, to represent Jesus and show to the world that Jesus transforms our lives. Help us to reveal it by the way we live, but Father, help us also to be faithful to speak the Word of the Lord so that others might be saved. Now, Father, speak to our hearts right now. I pray You'll save those who have not been saved, who have never called upon the name of the Lord Jesus in faith. And I pray, Father, that You'll call us to recommitment, to rededication, help us to be reclaimed, as Finney has said, help us to be renewed and refreshed and recommitted unto the task to which You've assigned us. Now, Father, speak to our hearts right now and give us the courage and the faith to believe and to take our stand with Jesus. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to the Sunday morning worship services of the Pruitt Baptist Church in Van, Texas. A podcast of the service is available on demand at the KCAA website at www.kcaaradio.com. The Pruitt Baptist Church is located at 9908 State Highway 110 in Van, Texas. The Sunday worship schedule includes Bible study at 9.45 a.m., morning worship at 11 a.m., and evening worship at 6 p.m. For more information about the Pruitt Baptist Church, visit their website at www.pruittbaptistchurch.com or call 903-963-7473. KCAA Loma Linda. Listen on 1050 AM, 102.3 FM, and 106.5 FM. This is InfoTrack, the weekly show with information you should know. Here's what's happening on this week's show. Parents who put too much emphasis on safe spaces and trigger warnings may be limiting their kids' potential. An expert says parents should raise children to have resilience and mental strength. Figuring out how do you become a guide? How do you make sure that your kids have the skills that they need? It's not just enough to say, I'm going to be a hands-off parent. You need to make sure that you're actively teaching kids. Then, independent businesses are thriving thanks to the red-hot gig economy. If you consider going solo or want extra income, you'll want to hear our interview with an expert. The truth of the matter is that of the 41 million people that are doing this, an enormous number are doing it by choice, and they want to run their business this way. Stay with us. InfoTrack begins right after this. Why have over 3 million guys switched to Harry's razors? Because at Harry's, we give you less. We make just one razor with five German-engineered blades. Ding! All you need for a smooth and comfortable shave. Ah. And we got rid of upcharges. <laughs> By owning the factory and cutting out the middleman, we're able to sell our high-quality blades for half the price of the other guys. Ka-ching! Now we're dropping the half-price sound effects guy. Wait, why? Not everyone can give you high quality for a fraction of the price. Harry's. One perfect razor. None of the extra noise. As a special offer for radio listeners, get an $18 shave set with an added bonus for free when you visit harrys.com and use code 2525 at checkout. Just cover a few bucks for shipping. That's harrys.com, code 2525 for a free shave set offer. Again, it's harrys.com, code 2525. Please note, no sound effects guys were harmed in the making of this radio recording. T'was the night before Christmas when all through the house, not a creature was stirring, not even a mouse. The stockings were hung by the chimney with care. Oh, thank goodness Boot Barn was there with holiday specials you'll want to share. Justin and Durango Boots, what a beautiful pair. Up to $50 off Justin and 20 off Durango. These specials have been packaged with care. Merry Christmas to all and to all a good night. With love, Boot Barn. A little help here. In our house, we go through a lot of toilet paper. Honey? So we made the switch to new Charmin Super Mega Roll, their longest lasting roll. 
Charmin Super Mega Roll is six regular rolls in one. And now, we can enjoy more goes and less woes. <sighs> Try the long-lasting new Charmin Super Mega Roll today and enjoy the go. InfoTrack, the weekly show with information you should know. Here's your host, Chris Whitting. Parents who put too much emphasis on safe spaces and trigger warnings may be doing their kids a disservice. An expert says kids have greater self-assurance when parents teach them resilience and mental strength. With this story, InfoTrack's Roy Mackey. Roy? Thanks, Chris. We're joined by Amy Morin. She's a licensed clinical social worker, psychotherapist, college psychology instructor, and internationally recognized expert on mental strength. And she's here to discuss her recent book, 13 Things Mentally Strong Parents Don't Do. Now, this is the follow-up to your previous book, 12 Things Strong People Do, as opposed to parents. You had quite a journey that led you to that point. Can you just give us kind of a quick summary of your story? Yeah, I was a therapist and I thought my role in life was to teach other people about mental strength and I had no idea how much I was going to need it myself. But my mother passed away suddenly from a brain aneurysm shortly after my career as a therapist started. And then on the three-year anniversary of her death, my 26-year-old husband died of a heart attack. And a few years down the road after that, my father-in-law was diagnosed with terminal cancer. And I found myself thinking, this isn't fair, why do these things always have to happen to me? And I sat down and I wrote a list of all the things mentally strong people don't do. And it was really a letter to myself to say, don't do these things because they'll hold you back. And 